the Slaughter in May podcast. Hello and welcome to this podcast on employment law in 2024. I'm Claire Fletcher, PSL counsel in the employment team, and I'm joined by Dave Rintoll, senior counsel in the employment team. In this podcast, Dave and I will be taking you on a whistle-stop tour of what to look out for in employment law in 2024. So, set the scene for us, Dave. What does it feel like as an employment lawyer looking forward to the next 12 months? Are you, in fact, looking forward to it? Well, it definitely seems like it will be a busy 12 months ahead for us and for clients. Uh, We're expecting plenty of change in 2024. There'll be legislative change, of course, with some important developments coming down the track next year, which will flag. Regulatory change. We're seeing much more intervention in the employment relationship from the likes of the FCA, the PRA, the SRA, the ICO, and the EHRC, and increased interest from the competition authorities too. Changes in workplace culture will continue to present challenges for employers. Employment issues that took on increased significance since the pandemic, like the cultural shift in expectations of employers and employees, look set to continue. Another angle is technological change. The rapid pace of digital transformation affecting businesses has real implications for how, when and why people work. We'll be talking to clients more about that in 2024. And finally, political change. Employment law, having been relatively low on the political agenda for a while, now seems to be back in Westminster's sights. And we, of course, have a general election next year, which could result in further significant changes if the Labour Party win power. We don't as yet, of course, have the Labour Party manifesto, so we'll only be touching very briefly on what we know so far about the Labour Party's proposals for employment law. Uh, We'll aim to do another podcast when the manifesto is published. That still leaves plenty for us to talk about today, though, and in, in fact, too much for us to cover everything that might be happening next year. So we've chosen those developments we think will be the most relevant to all of you listening today. We're going to aim to spend about five minutes each on three key areas of focus. Firstly, how people work. Secondly, equality, diversity and inclusion. And thirdly, hiring and firing. I'll start us off with how people work. It's fair to say that for the last few years, employers have been forced to react to extraordinary circumstances like Brexit and COVID. And they've had to be creative in the way they've dealt with fresh challenges and shifts in employee sentiment under the existing legislative framework. Law as ever has lagged behind but 2024 might finally see the start of a legislative catch-up. Next year, we'll see changes to the right to request flexible working under the Employment Relations Flexible Working Act. What this means immediately for employers is the need to make some minor changes to flexible working policies, primarily to reflect the shortened timeline for responses, which will be two months rather than three, the ability to make two requests per year rather than one, and the requirement for the employer to consult with the employee on the request before it's rejected. Although in our experience, most employers have already undertaken some level of consultation prior to any rejection. The right to request flexible working will also become a day one right under separate regulations. So a fair few changes for employers to get their heads around there, but fundamentally it's still just a right to request flexible working though. Yes, uh, employees can't insist on it um, and employers don't have to grant it if they can show a good reason why it wouldn't work. The Labour Party has, however, said that if they win next year's election, they would introduce a right to work flexibly, not just a right to request it, um, which would be a significant change. Yes, absolutely. Uh, On the flip side of the flexible working coin, workers with unpredictable work patterns will get the right to request a more predictable working pattern in 2024. This new right will apply to workers with a lack of predictability 
in either the hours or the time period in which they work. And that includes all those on fixed term contracts of 12 months or less. This new right has a lot of similarities to the right to request flexible working. The employer must deal with a formal request in a reasonable manner and can only refuse for one of a number of specified grounds. So plenty for employers to be thinking about in terms of working patterns in 2024. Another hot topic, though, is undoubtedly going to be holiday pay. Uh, yes, this has been a, a difficult legal area for some time uh, in terms of how holiday pay is calculated, how it accrues, when and how workers can carry over holiday entitlements to the next holiday year. Uh, happily, the government has recently published regulations which attempt to clarify some of those issues. Uh, Claire, do you want to say a bit about those? Yes, yeah, sure. So in a nutshell, the regulations do three main things. Firstly, they set out what rate of holiday pay applies to the four weeks holiday that's derived from the EU Working Time Directive. And that's where we've had a string of cases going back several years trying to work out what normal pay is for these purposes. So this new rate of holiday pay will include commission, overtime and some bonuses. The second thing the regulations do is to codify some EU cases which allow for carryover of holiday entitlement in various different scenarios. Those include, for example, where the worker is sick and unable to take holiday, or where they've been on some form of statutory leave, for example, maternity leave, or where the employer has failed to recognise their status as workers who are entitled to holiday, or has otherwise failed to afford the right to paid annual leave. Finally, the regulations will introduce a new regime for part-year and irregular hours workers, and that will include the ability for employers to pay rolled-up holiday pay to these workers. These new regulations come into force on the 1st of January next year and apply in relation to holiday years commencing on or after the 1st of April next year. So employers will need to be reviewing their holiday policies as a priority after the Christmas break. But we can't really conclude a look forward at how people work without talking about the incredibly topical subject of AI. Yes, there's been a lot of discussion about the opportunities AI holds for employers to improve efficiency, consistency and realise cost savings. The most common use of AI in the employment cycle so far has been in recruitment, um, but we are seeing its use expanding into areas like performance management, allocation of work and even disciplinaries and dismissals. But it comes with a whole bunch of risks too, which are explored in more detail in a piece we did for the firm's recent Regulating AI campaign, which you can find on our website. In terms of changes in legislation, uh, the EU AI Act is on its way for our European neighbours, but as the recent AI summit demonstrated, the UK seems to be content leaving it to regulators so far. But again, worth noting that Labour are calling for a more interventionist stance. So if there's a change of government next year, we can expect a more prescriptive approach to AI regulation and its use in the employment context. Our second topic for today is EDI, equality, diversity and inclusion. And what we've seen here for some time is that it's been culture rather than law that's been in the driving seat for change. And we think that's likely to continue for 2024. I think there'll be an increased focus on new EDI characteristics though next year. Historically, attention has really focused on sex and race as the primary characteristics for EDI, and most corporate reporting currently tends to stop there, including in terms of boardroom diversity and pay gap reporting. As we move into next year, we expect to see a greater recognition of neurodiversity in terms of recognising how this can present in a workplace context and how employers can adjust their working practices to better accommodate neurodiverse individuals 
and also the benefits and opportunities of employing neurodiverse individuals. Social mobility will be another key topic for 2024. In July this year, Slaughter and May became the first major law firm to set social mobility targets. Uh, we're aiming to increase the representation of employees from lower socioeconomic backgrounds in the firm to 25% by 2033, with separate targets for lawyers and business services of 15% and 40% respectively. We expect to see more employers introducing similar initiatives. In order to achieve greater equality, diversity and inclusion, we may see more employers grappling with the concept of positive action, which is permitted under the Equality Act, of course, uh, and trying not to stray into positive discrimination, which is not and would be unlawful. And I think a really good illustration of that, Dave, that people may have seen in the press recently was that involving the Royal Air Force, uh, where an inquiry found that the, the force had actually engaged in unlawful discrimination against men in a recruitment drive that was aimed at boosting diversity. And unfortunately, the force has set itself unrealistic targets for achieving greater representation by female and ethnic minorities, and its efforts to achieve that fell foul of positive discrimination. That RAF example also raises the importance of whistleblowing, since it came to light partly due to the recruitment manager objecting to what she correctly saw as an instruction to unlawfully discriminate. And whistleblowing is another area where we expect developments in 2024. The UK Department for Business and Trade are currently undertaking a review of the UK whistleblowing framework. Which I gather is a topic close to your heart, Claire. Yes, I must declare an interest here. I'm co-chairing a response to that review on behalf of the Employment Lawyers Association. The review is still ongoing, but may lead to some legislative changes to whistleblowing in 2024. What these are, of course, remain to be seen, but there are a number of models readily available, including the EU Whistleblowing Directive and the Draft Whistleblowing Bill prepared by the charity Protect. These could, for example, result in more concrete requirements on companies to have policies and procedures on whistleblowing, or to changes to who is protected as a whistleblower, what disclosures are protected, or who bears the burden of proving any detrimental treatment of workers was in fact because of whistleblowing. Whistleblowers have, of course, been instrumental in launching and sustaining the Me Too movement. These issues have certainly not gone away. You just need to look at the recent McDonald's and CBI scandals. Uh, we, we now also have the Treasury Select Committee inquiry into sexism in the city. Uh, the call for evidence has now uh, has closed um, as of a few weeks ago, and we expect its report to be published sometime in early 2024. Meanwhile, uh, the law on harassment is not moving much. There will be some legal changes here in 2024, but they won't be as significant as we first thought. The Worker Protection Amendment of Equality Act 2010 Act will come into force in the second half of 2024. The bill, as originally drafted, would have reintroduced protection from harassment from, by third parties, but this was dropped by the government in July, um, having already been watered down in response to some concerns from Conservative MPs about impact on free speech and placing an unreasonable burden on employers. The Act still contains a duty to take reasonable steps to prevent sexual harassment of employees, although this was also watered down. The all from the all reasonable steps was removed and it isn't expected to move the dial much in terms of employer liability. More to say, though, on family-friendly rights, where we will be seeing some movement in 2024. Firstly, the existing protections for parents facing redundancy will be extended. The priority for offers of suitable alternative employment will exist from the point when the woman tells her employer she's pregnant 
until six months after her return from maternity leave. And that six-month return window will also apply to parents on shared parental leave. We expect that change to come into force in April next year. We also expect changes to how paternity leave is taken from April next year. This will allow it to be taken in two separate blocks of one week and at any time in the first year after the birth of the child or the placement for adoption, rather than as currently within the first eight weeks. Thirdly, employees caring for a dependent with a long-term care need will be entitled to one week's unpaid leave per year, again from April 2024. And finally, looking a little further ahead, eligible employees will receive up to 12 weeks paid leave to care for a child receiving neonatal care, although this is not expected to come into force until April 2025. Uh, and a quick mention of another set of regulations published in the last month. Uh, which are designed to retain some key EU-derived principles relating to diversity and inclusion, which would otherwise be lost on the 1st of January 2024, thanks to the impact of the retained EU Law Revocation and Reform Act. Uh, the effect of the regulations is that the law will continue to have the same effect after the end of 2023 as it did before, and I'll just briefly mention some of the key areas affected. These are direct discrimination related to pregnancy, maternity and breastfeeding, um, the definition of disability, the right to equal pay, where employees' terms are attributable to a single source, indirect discrimination on the basis of an association with a protected characteristic, and liability for discriminatory statements regarding recruitment. So these regulations certainly mitigate the effects of the Retained EU Law Act for employment law, but there do remain some important implications of that act which the regulations don't address, and we expect to be speaking to you more about that during 2024. So our final topic for today's podcast is hiring and firing. The way in which people are engaged to work has been evolving for some time, but the law has struggled to keep pace. We've had a consistent stream of case law in recent years on questions around who is an employee, who is a worker, and who is genuinely self-employed. And there's more of that case law in the pipeline for 2024. That's been important because of the different protections that attach to each of those statuses. This is also, though, an area where we expect big changes if Labour win the general election, but more on that another day. Hiring practices have also caught the attention of um, the competition regulators. Uh, the CMA has confirmed that Labour practices are on its enforcement radar for 2024 and has already commenced two investigations into suspected anti-competitive behaviour relating to freelance and employed labour in the production and broadcasting of television and sports content. The CMA has also produced guidance for employers which highlights the anti-competitive effect of non-poach agreements and other restrictive covenants. And this chimes with the government's plan to limit the duration of non-compete clauses in employment contracts to three months in duration. That planned limitation was announced back in May uh, and grabbed a few headlines at the time, but worth reiterating what it won't do. The three-month limitation won't apply to non-competes in other types of contract, like shareholders' agreements, incentive documentation, or partnership agreements, or to non-solicitation and non-dealing covenants or indeed to clauses relating to confidentiality, garden leave, or notice periods. If enacted, however, it may require some rethinking of termination provisions. Uh, we might see more heavy reliance on longer paid notice periods, for example, coupled with garden leave. Although the practical impact may be less significant for certain types of senior managers and participants in management equity plans, 
if they've agreed to separate non-compete clauses in shareholders' agreements or MEP documentation, that won't be caught by the prohibition. This will certainly be an area for employers to watch in 2024, not least because of similar developments also taking place in other jurisdictions. The UK government, when it made this announcement back in May, said that it would legislate when parliamentary time allows, which it may well not before the general election. And there was, in fact, no mention of a bill to enact this provision in the King's speech. But suffice to say, yes, it will be significant if it happens, but we wouldn't encourage you to make any changes just yet. Turning then to the use of dismissal and re-engagement to affect changes to employment terms and conditions. Already, employers need to exercise caution when using so-called fire and rehire tactics, which came under sharp scrutiny during the pandemic. As a result of certain high-profile instances and the resulting public scrutiny, the government published a draft statutory code of practice earlier this year on affecting changes via dismissal and re-engagement. But the date for finalisation of that code currently remains unclear. Labour have stated their intention to abolish fire and rehire entirely. So whether we end up with an outright ban or just a more heavily prescribed process, it's going to become increasingly difficult for employers to rely on dismissal and re-engagement as the option of last resort. Finally, sticking with the tail end of the employment cycle, um, I want to flag the ongoing discussion around the inappropriate use of non-disclosure agreements in settlement agreements. This remains still firmly in the Solicitor's Regulation Authority's sites. The SRA warning notice to lawyers on the use of so-called gagging clauses was originally published in 2018 and updated in 2020. The SRA's latest report suggests that there's still a lack of awareness on this amongst practitioners. And law firms are being encouraged to robustly challenge their own clients who propose inappropriate or unbalanced confidentiality provisions. Also to proactively consider in each case whether confidentiality terms are needed at all and to move away from the idea of standard confidentiality terms, which won't, of course, be standard for the individual involved. Uh, in practice, it means that confidentiality provisions need to be an even bigger part of the conversations that we have with clients when it comes to settlement agreements. And the days of including those terms as more or less boilerplate have long since passed. So that's covered our three key areas for today. By way of wrapping up, what does all of this mean for you? What key priorities should you be taking away from today's podcast? Well, firstly, you'll need to review your employment contracts, policies and processes in 2024 for some of these changes that we know are coming. Secondly, you'll need to stay updated for the changes we think may be coming or in fact don't even know are coming yet. And the good news is we can help you with both of those. If you aren't already, I would encourage you to please sign up to our employment bulletin, which contains all the latest developments and practical analysis. It also has a horizon scanning section, so you can know what to expect in the coming months. You can sign up for the bulletin via our website or by speaking to your usual Slaughter and May contact. So for now, thank you for listening and Happy New Year. For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.